This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive. You're going to love this. Just love it. We'll see how much you love it. Scared? I'm never scared. Where'd they get that idea? Yes, I am. Stuck in the middle with you once again, right here, live on KPFK. 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego. 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org and on the Stitcher radio app on your mobile device. Glad you could join us this afternoon. This is the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Uh, we've got a big show for you here today, and uh, in a very busy uh, news day, what is becoming quickly a very busy news week, uh, I, I'll be interviewing uh, shortly uh, Don Siegelman uh, and his daughter Dana Siegelman. Don Siegelman was uh, jailed, returned to jail yesterday um, as a result of, uh, frankly, a political witch hunt. Uh, by Karl Rove and his cronies during the Bush administration. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, and you'll be hearing much more about the following stories, no doubt, later this afternoon and evening on KPFK. But I want to quickly touch base on a few major breaking and developing stories this afternoon in what I say is, uh, as I say, is becoming a very busy news day. Uh, first, a bombshell revelation at the New York Times yesterday from journalist Kurt Eichenwald detailing the many warnings about an al-Qaeda attack in the U.S. that the Bush administration had ignored or dismissed prior to the September 11th attacks. Many, many more warnings than has been previously documented or publicly known at this point. You'll remember the infamous presidential daily briefing memo entitled Bin Laden Determined to Strike Within the U.S. Uh, from August 6th. 2001, Bush famously dismissed just uh, dismissed that memo just one month before the attacks. But Eichenwald's report reveals that the CIA issued many, many more warnings in presidential daily briefings in the weeks and months that were dismissed and even ridiculed by the neoconservatives that had taken over the Bush administration. The neocons at the Pentagon, according to uh, Eichenwald's report, felt that the CIA was being, quote, fooled by bin Laden, and his threats were really just a ruse from bin Laden to trick the U.S. into taking the focus away from the greater threat 
that was Saddam Hussein. This is all documented uh, by Eichenwald in his, uh, frankly, stunning report, documented uh, from the presidential daily briefings that are still classified that he somehow was able to get access to and report on. Florida former, Florida's former Senator Bob Graham, one of the co-chairs of the Joint Congressional Inquiry into 9-11, uh, which was famously stonewalled by the Bush administration along with the 9-11 Commission, has now called for a reopening of a 9-11 Commission investigation to re-examine the new evidence presented by Eichenwald from those still classified presidential briefings. Uh, meanwhile, today, as information is still coming in on the attacks on the uh, U.S. embassies and consulates in Egypt and Libya, CNN is now reporting today that the attack on the uh, U.S. consulate compound in Benghazi, Libya, yesterday, during which UM, U.S. Ambassador Chris Stevens was killed, may have been pre-planned by extremists to coincide with the anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and that they were using mobs incited by an obscure anti-Muslim film as a cover to launch that attack. We'll see if they're right. CNN has a habit of getting stories completely wrong. For example, last night when they reiterated GOP presidential nominee Mitt Romney's shameful and inaccurate attack on President Obama and the U.S. State Department in the midst of the ongoing crisis for a statement that was actually issued by the U.S. Embassy in Cairo before yesterday's attacks took place. Man, CNN, before the full scale of the dangerous situation was known, and even as the whereabouts of Ambassador Stevens was uh, was still unknown, the Romney campaign launched off a statement based on a falsehood criticizing the Obama administration and the Cairo embassy for a tweet that the Romney campaign said appeared to apologize and sympathize with the embassy attackers. Quote, the Obama administration's first response was not to condemn attacks on our diplomatic missions, the Romney campaign said, but, quote, to sympathize with those who waged the attacks. The problem? The tweet Romney was criticizing was sent out hours prior to the attack on the embassy by the, uh, by the uh, U.S. Uh, embassy in Egypt, but instead of admitting to uh, their mistake, RNC Chairman Reince Priebus doubled down and repeated the same lie, charging, quote, Obama sympathizes with attackers in Egypt. Sad and pathetic, the chairman tweeted, even as two U.S. embassies were under attack during a major foreign policy uh, crisis yesterday. Man, uh, those statements were issued after it was uh, known already at that point that at least one American had been killed in the attack in Benghazi. While the embassy was still under attack, while American personnel were in the middle of fighting for their lives. This morning, in a live press conference, Governor Mitt Romney again pushed the same falsehood, the lie, and again politicized the tragedy, which has so far taken the lives of four State Department employees. The Romney campaign is dangerously using the deaths of Americans abroad and an extremely volatile, dangerous, and still developing foreign policy crisis in hopes of scoring political points, all based on a lie. So much for the Republicans' once vaunted claim that politics stops at the water's edge. 
usually friendly Republican, uh, Republican friendly, I should say, journalist Mark Halperin condemned Romney today, charging that, quote, his doubling down on criticism of the president for the statement coming out of Cairo is likely to be seen as one of the most craven and ill-advised tactical moves in this entire campaign. Josh Marshall of Talking Points Memo wrote today, Some moments show you when a candidate is ready or not to become the president of the United States. I suspect last night will become one of those moments for Mitt Romney. The verdict will not be positive, wrote Josh. Okay, on to our main story today, my recent interview with Alabama's former Democratic Governor Don Siegelman, who yesterday reported to the federal prison in Oakdale, Louisiana, to complete nearly six years remaining in his six-and-a-half-year sentence on bribery charges, despite the extraordinary questions about his case, which has led some 133 former attorneys general, both Republican and Democrat, to decry the case as setting a dangerous precedent and calling for the case to be dismissed. Don Siegelman was the Democratic governor of Alabama from 1993 to 2003. He's the only person in the state of Alabama to be elected to serve in all four of the top statewide elected offices, Secretary of State, Attorney General, Lieutenant Governor, and Governor, and he served in Alabama politics for some 26 years. That was until two of Alabama's United States Attorneys General uh, I'm sorry, until two of Alabama's United States attorneys began a criminal investigation against him. One of those U.S. attorneys, Laura Canary, was actually the wife of Siegelman's gubernatorial opponent, Bob Riley, all of whom, by the way, were very close friends with top Bush administration operative Carl Rove. In 2002, Siegelman went to bed, having been named the winner in his re-election contest, only to be awoken the next day and told that some 5,000 votes had been misappropriated on the electronic voting system in just one Republican county. Though the supposed error affected only his race, and Siegelman was never allowed to examine the paper ballots which were supposedly mistabulated by the electronic system. In 2006, one month before his next attempt to retake office as Alabama's governor, Siegelman was charged and then ultimately convicted on bribery charges after local hospital executive Richard Scrucci was found to have given $500,000 to an advocacy campaign favored by Siegelman to establish a state lottery to help pay for free college education for Alabama's underprivileged children. In exchange, prosecutors contend, Scrucci was appointed to a non-paying state hospital board, one that Scrucci had previously served on under three previous governors, one Democratic and two Republican. Though Siegelman did not personally benefit financially from the trans transaction, prosecutors in the Bush Justice Department and now in the Obama DOJ have argued that the transaction amounted to a quid pro quo. As I mentioned, 113 former state attorneys general, both Republican and Democratic, appealed to the Supreme Court on Siegelman's behalf, arguing that his prosecution for something that nobody has ever been prosecuted for before will, quote, stifle the legal ability of campaigns to raise needed funds for fear of politically motivated prosecution of themselves and their donors. The Supreme Court declined to hear Siegelman's appeal earlier this year, and Siegelman, who had already served nine months earlier, was resentenced to 78 months in federal prison, where he was ordered to report yesterday. 
He did so after being driven more than 400 miles to the federal facility on Monday by his son, his wife, and his daughter, Dana, uh, who has begun a petition campaign for a pardon from President Obama. You can and should, by the way, sign it at DonSiegelman.org. Dana Siegelman will be joining us live here on the broadcast after this interview with Don Siegelman. She is arguing in the petition campaign that a grave injustice has been done in this case that taints the very fabric of our democracy. Man, uh, she'll join us, uh, Dana. As I said, uh, Dana will join us uh, to discuss uh, the presidential pardon and a bizarre meeting that she had last week at the DNC with none other than Karl Rove. First, though, we've spoken many times with the governor over the years as his fight continued and as the injustices and outrages of his case began more and more apparent each time. I spoke with him a week ago Friday once again while guest hosting The Mike Malloy Show just before the former governor was to travel to last week's DNC in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here is my recent interview with former Governor Don Siegelman. Governor, welcome back. Brad, thanks so much. I, I, uh, I was listening attentively with to your description, and um, uh, it is, uh, it's on point. I just want to, I, I want to bring your, your <laughs> listeners uh, back to 2002. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was gearing up. I was, I was running for re-election. Had I won re-election, I was going to enter some of the Southern primary, presidential primaries mm-hmm. leading up to the 2004 election. I had been uh, touted as a dark horse candidate for the Democratic nomination by conservative business journals such as the Kiplinger letter. Uh, Carl Rove wanted me out of the way. Mm-hmm. We have sworn testimony before the House Judiciary Committee that Carl Rove targeted me through the Department of Justice. I was uh, I was pursued by the wife of Carl Rove's best friend, mm-hmm. who had been vetted vetted by Carl Rove as the U.S. Attorney in Alabama. She was joined by Carl Rove's client, the State Attorney General, in their quest to have me indicted um, and uh, well actually it was a smear campaign running into the 2002 election and then when I won the election anyway it was Carl Rove's partner and Tom DeLay and uh, Jack Abramoff's uh, uh, employee who claimed credit for stealing the election and swinging the election to my opponent whose campaign was being run by the U.S. Attorney's husband, who was Carl Rove's best friend, I, you know, it, it, I am, I'm, I, you know, people might, they're going to ask a couple of questions. They're going to say, why did Carl Rove care? Well, because I was a Southerner who was a Democrat, a liberal Democrat in a Southern Republican state mm-hmm. who was winning, winning elections despite the attacks of the Republicans. Uh, they couldn't stop me square and uh, fair and square, so they targeted me with this prosecution. So said the Republican Attorney General from Arizona, who was John McCain's co-campaign national campaign uh, chairman in 2008. Um, we have people on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, as you pointed out, who mm-hmm. say are saying that you know I was targeted. This is nothing but politics. So. People will ask, well, oh, how did he get convicted of bribery? Well, I was convicted of bribery because of the sworn test, the testimony of, of one person 
who was a felon whom the prosecutors went to and, and said, if you will tell us what we want to know so we can convict this guy, Sigelman, we will recommend no time in prison for you. The guy was facing 40 to 100 years in jail. They offered him a deal he couldn't refuse. He testified. Uh, but and he was the one, that, go, Governor, if I, if I can just break in, he was the, the fella who was actually coached. We have evidence that he was coached by the prosecutors as to how to yeah. give his testimony, that there are notes written, as I understand exactly. it, by the prosecutor in this guy's uh, in this guy's notebook explaining to him the things that he should say during the trial, correct? Exactly. <clears throat> As explained in an expose by 60 Minutes mm -hmm. on February 24, 2008. I've been following this case, as you know, uh, for years. We've talked uh, several times throughout the years, and, and I, you know, I don't want to relitigate what happened, but uh, listen, I'm an accountability guy. I, I want to see people held accountable when they've broken the law. And it seems to me pretty clear that you've been railroaded here now uh, throughout this entire uh, matter, and I hope to talk about that uh, 2002 election, by the way and what happened in the middle of the night on the Diebold uh, uh, voting systems out there. But uh, wh when you were sentenced uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I guess, earlier in August, uh, you said to the judge, and I'm going to quote uh, some quotes here, quote, the hardest thing for me personally is knowing that I've let my family down. As a father, I have no greater wish than to have my children be proud of me. I do have deep regrets and remorse for my actions. I'd like to apologize to the people of Alabama for the embarrassment my actions have caused. If I had known I was coming close to the line where a campaign contribution becomes a bribe and a crime, I would have stopped. What do you mean? You, you say you have deep regrets and remorse yeah. for your actions. What, 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 do you, uh, what do you regret if, in fact, you're being railroaded here? What do you regret having done in this case? Well, there, there are lots, <laughs> there are lots of things that I regret. One, uh, you know, I hired this guy that, uh, that, that ended up, uh, being a crook. And I, you know, nobody saw it. Nobody knew it. He, That's the guy who, does, who testified against you we're talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He ended up taking, you know, $200,000 from various people and, and, uh, nobody, nobody's, you know, saw that, and um, he had, he testified that, of course, I didn't know anything about it, and didn't get a penny of it, and and but it was I, I I do regret that I did not foresee these things coming, and I do regret the embarrassment that it has caused to the state, but it is it is not, you know, it wasn't because of anything that I did. I mean, I am I am facing. A prosecutor who was uh, anointed by Bush. I'm, a, I'm facing a judge who was anointed by Bush. I am, I am now facing an 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, who, which is headed headed by someone who was Karl Rove's client. You know, the prosecutor Rove anointed Bush appointed, the judge Rove anointed Bush appointed, and I head of the 11th Circuit where all of my appeals go. Uh, the presiding judge you, was Carl Rove's client. Yeah, I know he was. I mean, that's what's amazing to me. But it's it's amazing to me. That's why I don't understand when the Supreme Court, you know, refuses to hear it. When, uh, you know, all the courts seem to go against you. Do you contend to this day that what you did? Do you believe that what you did was not a crime? That this transaction oh, that took place was not no, a crime? It, it, I offered a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. 
a a place on a part-time non-paying board on which he had served through three previous governors. I was the fourth governor to appoint this guy to the same board. Uh, there was no agreement. He didn't even want to serve on the board. He asked me, Governor, do I have to? And I said, <laughs> I, and you know, the, he was tired of being on the board. He had just resigned from the board. I recruited him to be on the board. This man served five years in prison for something he did not do. And I am, a, I am about to go to prison for something I did not do. But, you know, this whole thing is much larger than, than Don Sigelman, even Don Sigelman spending time in prison for something that wasn't a crime. You know, it is, it is about our freedom, our, our Constitution, our justice system. It's about Karl Rove and Karl Rove's ability to hijack the Department of Justice and use it as a political weapon. And, you know, Rove, when he was caught, you know, he fired Republicans who wouldn't do his bidding sure. and replaced, replaced them with other U.S. attorneys. You know, the, what, what happened to me was just the reverse of that. You know, the Republican attorney general in Alabama, you know, did what he wanted them to do. They pursued me. They prosecuted me. They knocked me out of the uh, uh, my reelection campaign in 2002 by stealing the election, as you mentioned, and then uh, came back and prosecuted me, brought me to trial one month before my reelection in 2006 when I was going to uh, be reelected to the uh, to the office of governor in Alabama. So, this, you know, if they can do this to me, they can do it to anybody. And if Karl Rove gets back in power, you can bet your bottom dollar they're going to do it to other people. So We're, it's not just about me. It's about our, our system of justice in America. Governor, uh, wh- what do you think uh, now uh, in this post-Citizens United era when you see uh, these guys giving literally millions and millions of dollars to uh, super PACs that they know are there to benefit uh, these presidential candidates, in light of what happened to you. Well, that's a, that's a that's a great uh, segue because you know the issue here. Uh, you know, it started out as a political dirty trick with uh, involving Karl Rove's client, who was the Attorney General, who's now the uh, Chief Judge on the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals. It involved Karl Rove's uh, partner and. Tom DeLay and uh, Jack Abramoff's mm-hmm. uh, uh, employee stole my election and, and kept me out of the 2004 presidential race. But the, the legal issue here, the legal issue is going to come back to haunt these people because the judge that convicted me that uh, did so on a, a standard that has never been used in this setting before He allowed the jury to convict me of bribery on a theory that there was an implied agreement. Mm -hmm. Before this case, there's always been, it's always been assumed that the Supreme Court, when they talked about an explicitly asserted agreement, that that meant that to commit a crime, you had to agree to give somebody something in exchange for your campaign contribution. So, the, so the, to, to put it in, in, in layman's terms here, the quid pro quo has to be, I will give you this money if you will do X for me. If you'll, yeah, if you'll appoint me, right. if you'll vote in favor of my legislation or whatever. Well, now under this this new this new legal theory that was used to send me to prison, the juries can infer that there was an agreement. 
So, you know, the Koch brothers and all these other folks who are pumping this money in, if they get anything in return, they can be – I mean, if there, if there is a prosecutor out there yeah. who, wants to, who wants to charge them or charge the president if he appoints them to something or, or if there's a congressman who does, votes in favor of their legislation, uh, even though there is no testimony or no evidence of any kind of quid pro quo, what we understood to be a quid pro quo before this case, they can still convict them on the on the inference or uh, that there was you know that there was evidence of an implied quid pro quo. So there was no evidence uh, that said uh, you, you know you had made any kind of promise uh, to this to this guy to Richard Scrucci in exchange for no, for supporting the, the charity. No, no evidence None. of that whatsoever, None. and yet None. you're going away for six and a half years. And meanwhile, well, Sh- Sheldon Adelson or the Koch brothers, they can literally break about giving millions and millions uh you know to, to Mitt Romney hundreds they can of hundreds of millions use our uh, uh private planes if you want whatever uh that's all just fine but what you did uh, you no, know it's and, amazing and, and, and keep in mind Brad yeah. keep in mind and I want your your listeners to keep in mind what was my motive my motive was to send Disadvantaged kids to college for free for <laughs> Well, shame now, on was, you. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a self enrichment scheme, as as is the case in most bribery convictions. It's long, a hard road. It's a long, a hard road. It's a long, a hard road, baby You're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, and you're listening to my recent interview with former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman, who reported to federal prison yesterday to complete the remaining six years of his federal sentence on supposed bribery charges. There's a bit more of the interview to come in which the governor discusses what he sees as the difference in his case and that of the late Senator Ted Stevens, a Republican from Alaska, as well as what happened when, as he described, his uh, 2002 reelection was stolen from him with the use of the state's new electronic voting system. After that segment, we'll be joined live by Siegelman's daughter, Dana, to discuss the campaign for a presidential pardon, her bizarre meeting with Karl Rove at the DNC last week, and how the family is coping with all of this. More now from my interview just over a week ago with former Alabama governor, now political prisoner, Don Siegelman. This is something that really, really, I got to say, ticks me off. Uh, how was uh, what happened here in, in your case different from what happened to the powerful Republican senator from Alaska, Ted Stevens, who uh, he has since died, but uh, he was charged with taking millions in bribes before seeing his case dropped by the Obama Department of Justice when they came to power. What happened there that his case was dropped 
and your case uh, moved forward. Do, do you understand the difference, uh, that what, what happened here? Can you help me understand this, Governor? Well, I, you know, frankly, I, I think that uh, I think that the Republican power brokers, uh, you know, work, work their will with the powers that be. Uh, but so the, he was let know, off the hook the, because he was a Republican. Well, well I think in, in part, but also because there was prosecutorial misconduct in his case. My problem with the Ted Stevens case is not that his case was uh, dismissed and mm-hmm. the charges vacated, but the prosecutorial misconduct in my case makes everything else uh, you know, pale in comparison. We've got Republican lawyers and a Republican Department of Justice employee, a whistleblower, who came forward and, and testified about how they coached the witness and how mm-hmm. You know, this was this was all a setup by Karl Rove. I wanted to, to address your listeners. I know that most people don't want to believe that in this country that we would torture people for uh, to get information. They don't want to believe that we would authorize illegal wiretaps. They don't want to believe that we would be led into war under false pretenses. They don't want to believe that elections in this country are stolen or that their Department of Justice could be used as a weapon to win elections. Yeah, I want to talk about two people involved in my re-election campaign that was stolen. One was Carl Rove's client, who was rewarded by being appointed to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and there he sits today as the Chief Justice of, of the 11th Circuit. My, my overseeing, client, overseeing your case, correct? Overseeing my case. Right. This is the guy, this is the guy, as Carl Rove's client, and I'll have to say this, I, I, the guy is basically intellectually honest, but when it came down to the crunch, when Rove said, "Stop this recount," I was, I was, I had won my election. They had stolen it. I wanted a recount in one little tiny precinct in this Republican county, and and it was Carl Rove's client who stood in the way and participated in the stealing of my election. Explain what happened, Governor, the night uh, of that election when, as I understand it, as you've told me in the past, you went to bed thinking you won the election. I went to bed. I had won the election. The votes were counted. They were, it was done. The poll watchers, the party officials, the media had been sent home. I was declared the winner of the 2002 gubernatorial election in Alabama by CBS, NBC, all of them, all of the, everybody said the election's over, signaling one. Then after midnight, the lights go out in the courthouse in, in the South Alabama County, um, and in the sheriff's office, there is a, there is a, quote, recount. Nobody's there to watch the recount. They just shift 5,000 votes of mine to my opponent, the Karl Rove-supported candidate. And oddly enough, while it affects my race, it doesn't impact any down-ballot race by one single vote. So they take 5,000 votes from the governor's race and move it to from the Democratic column to the Republican column. And this it, was done electronically, This was done electronically, electronically correct? Yes, it was. Yes, it was uh, the tabulators. Now, is this was this were these touchscreen machines down there or paper ballot systems uh, down no, there? This, it was. It was a. It was a. It was a paper ballot. 
paper ballot through, system, uh, but it was an no, electronic uh, tabulator yeah, where the numbers yeah, exactly. changed yeah. and shifted. And, and there's been study after study by universities, professors, mm-hmm. and they, they have concluded that there is no explanation other than the votes were stolen. So, but the, the guys that was given credit, I mean, the one who stopped the recount was Carl Rove's client, who was then appointed to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. The people given credit were Carl Rove's uh, partner and this guy that went to work for Tom DeLay and, and Jack Abramoff. And they would not let you count those paper ballots? The numbers shifted no. on the tabulator, no. but they would not no. let you count the actual the ballots to see what they exactly. act the paper that's ballots? All we, that's all we asked for. And what was so odd was that the local officials, even though they were Republicans, the local officials invited me in to count the ballots. But Carl Rose's client stepped in and said, anybody that touches those ballots is going to jail. Now, we shift. I want to shift quickly to the judge who tried my case. He was vetted by Carl Rove, appointed by, by George Bush, in a, as an interim appointee. He had a little sideline business called DOS Aviation. DOS Aviation was a company that was being funneled Defense Department contracts through his uh, godfather, who was the congressman from the district, and also from other state officials, Republican officials, who uh, state U.S. senators. But my point here is that here is this guy who's a federal judge. And he has his sideline business of refueling planes, training uh, pilots, and providing uniforms for the FBI as well as to, for uh, U.S. Air Force pilots. In the course of my trial, he is notified that he is up for a $200 million a year, a year contract. Uh, and at the conclusion of my trial, he is granted that $200 million a year renewable Defense Department contract. Um, it just, the whole thing stinks to high heaven. And I know I'm not, I am not one of the conspiracy theorists. You know, I'm, I'm not generally one of those guys who comes up with these, you know, weird things that, that don't seem to make sense unless you, you know, start connecting the dots and then it appears to be something. Yeah. All I'm saying is that that this is a matter of fact, that during the trial, he was he was told he would he was up for this contract at the conclusion of the trial. He was given the contract by the United States government. Governor, Um, I I think after what you've gone through here, uh, it's you, you don't have to apologize for being a conspiracy theorist. There was clearly a conspiracy going on. It's not a theory when your votes disappear in the middle of the night, only in your race, and they will not let you count the votes. Uh, that's obviously uh, something is going on here. What they have gone through for the years and years after that, uh, you know, to, to take you down as, you know, God forbid, God forbid there should be a powerful, likable, well-respected Democrat in the state of Alabama. It doesn't go along, uh, you know, with the solid South theory of, of Karl Rove and friends. And, and it just, you're right, it stinks to high heaven. Do you think there's a chance that President Obama will at some point see what has happened here and, and give you the pardon that you clearly deserve, in my opinion. 
Well, I, I, one can only hope. I, one, and, you know, this is bigger than me, and that's the point I want to make with your listeners. This is not – yes, I want to be free. I don't want to go to jail for something I didn't do. I don't want to lose more time in my life fighting over something like this. But this is bigger than me. It is bigger than my freedom. It is a, about your freedom, this country's freedom. It's about restoring justice and preserving our democracy, and that's why – you know, yes, I encourage people to go online and sign this petition, DonSigelman.org, uh, Free Don. But this is something, this is a message that has to be taken to the president and has to be taken to the American people. We cannot tolerate this kind of behavior in this country if our democracy and our freedoms are going to be sustained. Thank you, uh, Governor. Frankly, uh, for your service to your uh, to your country and to your state, I wish you the best of luck uh, with a pardon from the president. And good luck if you do end up uh, going away here in, in a week or so. Uh, my, my best uh, luck to you and your family, sir. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Brad. That was my interview with uh, former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman uh, before he had to return to uh, federal prison yesterday to complete his six-and-a-half-year sentence. We're going to take a very quick break and come back with his daughter, Dana Siegelman, who uh, took that long trip uh, to the Oakdale, uh, Louisiana facility this week to drop off her father. We're going to talk to her about uh, how the family is doing and about her very bizarre uh, meeting with Carl Rove, of all people, at the DNC in uh, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina last week, of all places. After this very quick break, you're listening to the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. Essence. The dictionary gives it two meanings. The heart, the substance of a person or an idea. The essence of KPFK is both. A radio station reflecting the uniqueness of culture, music, politics. Different views on different subjects. The essence. KPFK. down here live this afternoon on the broadcast i'm brad friedman on kpfk if you missed any portion of my interview there with uh, don siegelman i'll have it up later tonight at bradblog.com it'll also be at kpfk.org uh but first dana siegelman dana siegelman is the daughter of alabama's former governor don siegelman who you just heard me interview he is now in jail as of yesterday ironically enough he was uh, forced to report on September 11th to complete his six-and-a-half-year sentence on supposed bribery charges, for which he received, I should add, not one penny of self-enrichment in a scheme that has never been considered a crime in the history of this country. 
As you heard in my interview with the governor, it appears that Karl Rove and many of his friends were behind what seems clear to me, at least, a case of political prosecution and abuse of power under the George W. Bush administration. Dana Siegelman blogged this week at bradblog.com about her strange experience last week at the DNC when she had a chance to meet with Karl Rove himself. She joins us now to talk about that and her campaign for a presidential pardon for her father, Don Siegelman. Dana, welcome to KPFK's broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad, for having me. Uh, so great to have you here, even though I just get uh, furiouser and furiouser every time uh, I, I cover that story, every time I talk to your father about it. Uh, first, how are you and your uh, your brother uh, and your mother uh, holding up, and, and how was your dad yesterday when he reported to federal prison? Um, obviously, yesterday was uh, an emotional day. I mean, we were furious too, and um, you know, it was it was it was between anger and sadness that we um, said goodbye yesterday. And um, I have to tell you, I I have this formula for channeling anger into being positive and productive because I realized. Um, that it can be very easily used for the, you know, the opposite. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad has just been so positive during this whole experience. He has maintained, um, you know, a positive outlook on um, on the country and on the Department of Justice. Um, truly believing that the Supreme Court would hear this case and and realize the. Um, the wrongs that have been done, and, of course, they didn't do that. So um, right now I am petitioning the president for a pardon. I want to reiterate what my dad said. This is so much bigger than him. Um, Since I started this petition a month ago, um, when we got the news that the Supreme Court didn't want to hear the case, um, I have been getting letter after letter from people whose parents, um, it's always, well, it's pretty much always a dad, whose dad is has been wrongly prosecuted, who was um, either a contributor to the Democratic Party or worked for a Democrat or was a politician. And it's very disturbing for me to be sort of um, the vocal point for these people who feel that they're in the boat with us. So I just want to reiterate, this is so much bigger than dad. We are fighting you know, for our, for our democracy, for our freedoms. And um, if your listeners would... Um, please just go to um, donsiegelman.org or just Google Free Don. It should be the first website that comes up. Um, we need your signature, but more importantly, we need your voice to educate people about this. And um, that's all I'm trying to do. And if I can help these other people that have been wrongly prosecuted, I'm going to do it because I, you know, I can't do anything else. It's um, it's hard to focus on on what whatever else I would have been focusing on. Yeah. Um, I just, I just have to stand up for my dad, who's a wonderful person and doesn't deserve this. Well, you're, you're, you, you do take after your father. I have been uh, it's just stunned, frankly, over the years as I've talked to him, the the positive attitude that he's managed to maintain, and uh, and even uh, yesterday, I believe it was, 
um, on uh, on Democracy Now. He was interviewed by Amy Goodman, and you know she asked him what would he have said to the president had they been able to meet at the DNC, and he said, "Well, I wouldn't have talked to him about my case. I would have talked to him, you know, about what he needs to do to to win re-election." So his attitude is inspiring and has clearly uh, uh, rubbed off on you. And you're right. During the Bush administration, uh, prosecutions of Democrats were uh, some seven to one uh, versus uh, prosecutions of Republicans uh, as uh, Rove and the Bush White House used the U.S. Department of Justice as a political bludgeon against their enemies. Uh, Dana Siegelman, you guest blogged uh, at bradblog.com this week, and thank you very much for that, about your bizarre meeting with Karl Rove at last week's DNC in Charlotte. Um, what can you tell us about what happened there when uh, you finally came face to face? I presume for the first time with Karl Rove. Well, I have to say, um, when you when terrible things happen to you, you realize you're going, you're willing to do things that normally um, you would be inhibited about. Um, so, when I heard Karl Rove was in the arena, I was shocked that he dared step foot in the DNC. Um, but I realized that was going to be my opportunity. I, I didn't know what I was going to say, but I wanted to. Um, I wanted to meet him. I wanted to put a face um, in front of him and let him know what he's done to my family. And I also wanted him. I, I don't know that. I guess I thought that maybe his heart would be touched, but he cut me off before I could say anything and started yelling at me. Uh, got really close to my face, pointed his finger in my face, and told me to. Basically, he said, I have a message for your dad. Tell him to stop using my name to make money or I'm going to press charges. And, of course, dad does not have a book or anything like that um, where he's capitalizing on Rove's name. But Rove, however, does have a book in which he writes a whole chapter about my dad. And I find it really fascinating that he would have projected that onto us. And, of course, I didn't get to say anything. He basically skirted away as fast as he could while his security looked back a little bit alarmed and sad and um, anyway, it was just, it was one of those bizarre moments, um, and I'm just really grateful that I, that I was able to have that. Well, uh, he's, uh, frankly, Dana, a, a coward. Listen, uh, I've, I've got just a, a minute here. Uh, things got pushed back uh, because of so much breaking news today. But uh, I want to ask you quickly, uh, and by, by the way, I should point people to brandblog.com to read your full guest blog uh, on your experience with Carl Rove last week. Uh, but very quickly, in, in 2008, 60 Minutes ran a profile on your father and his story. Do you know if they have any intention of following this up, uh, or is it... Uh, uh, your sense now that this is simply uh, seen as old news by many in the mainstream uh, corporate media at this point? It does seem that the corporate media has moved on, but I, I also understand because of this election, um, this election season, what they need to understand, is, as you were talking about before this, um, you know, Cole Rove is eager to come back into power, and this election should be, um, sort of focused on those people who have not been replaced by the Bush, um, by uh, President Obama's administration. You know, President Bush changed the laws so that uh, appointees would have to be vetted by Senate. And so it's been very difficult for President Obama to actually appoint new people, to appoint people that um, he can trust. And so what we have is, you know, very small percentage of people that were um, – appointed by Bush actually being replaced by President Obama. And so it's very important for people to understand that, 
you know, while we've had a different president, we have not had a completely different administration. We've had a lot of Bush cronies. A lot of those U.S. prosecutors were never replaced. And so this election needs to be about, you know, having replacing these people and having a clean slate and actually having the opportunity for change. We talk about some of the issues, and we say that, you know, President Obama didn't follow through on a lot of his promises, but unfortunately he was dealing with adversity the whole time within his own administration. So we've got to, you know, support President Obama. We need to get him reelected. And, you know, more than ever, it's about our freedom. And, again, if, if he is not reelected and, and Romney is, we're going to be dealing with, with Bush and we're going to be dealing with Cole Rove again. As your, that's a very scary thought. As your father said uh, during that interview uh, that I did with him, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. Uh, and indeed, that's the case. I don't endorse a lot of campaigns, but I will uh, happily tell people they need to go to DonSiegelman.org and sign your petition, Dana Siegelman, for a presidential uh, pardon for your father, Governor Don Siegelman. Dana, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your guest blog this week at, at bradblog.com. And uh, please stay in touch with me as, uh, as things move forward and as there's uh, anything that I can do to help you or your father. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dana. All right, Dan, that's Dana Siegelman, daughter of a former Alabama governor, now political prisoner, Don Siegelman. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Okay. Yeah. That means we're going to uh, try to turn the page here for a moment in our remaining few minutes. Uh, hey, Des. Hey. That's Desi Doyen, of course, and that is uh, her familiar theme song. Uh, she's our producer and my co-host on the Green News Report. Uh, a, a maddening interview uh, with uh, with Governor Don Siegelman and with his daughter Dana. So, are you here to cheer me up? I'm gonna try. Yeah, you're gonna fail. Ah. You, you always do. You well, always you know, do. there's always something. Uh, especially after the uh, Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention and what went on at those two and the uh, stark differences uh, between the two candidates. The two Indeed, candidates. at least at least when it comes to their clean energy policies, uh, which we talk about in uh, our latest Green News report. So let's go ahead and roll that now, and then we'll come back with a few more uh, last minute or two with Desi Doyen. President Obama promised to begin to slow the rise of the oceans. More droughts and floods and wildfires are not a joke. They are a threat to our children's future. A tale of two conventions, wrapping up the RNC and the DNC. That long of a stretch of months has not happened in our period of record. It's official, 2012 shaping up to be the hottest year on record. Shell finally begins drilling in the Arctic, but the Arctic has other ideas. Plus, 9-11 and the consequences of ignoring warnings. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Climate change is not a hoax. Oh, great. Now you tell us. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Des, with the two conventions finally wrapped, there was a stark difference between the two of them when it came to climate change 
global warming and uh, and energy policy. Oh yeah, it was it was poles apart, but we'll get to that in a moment. First, another setback for Shell Oil's troubled billion-dollar Arctic adventure. After receiving administration approval on Friday, Royal Dutch Shell began exploratory drilling in the Chukchi Sea, 70 miles off the coast of Alaska, on Sunday. But apparently, the Arctic had other plans. Almost immediately, Shell had to halt operations due to massive ice flows closing in on the rig. One as big as 30 miles long. Amazing. You mean they started drilling and then immediately had to stop drilling? Yep, the very next day. Is this the same Arctic drilling that the U.S. Coast Guard had been warning about, saying that if there's a problem, if there's an oil spill, we simply don't have the resources to uh, to clean it up? Yes, and that is why Shell is only allowed to drill pilot holes right now and is not allowed to tap into any oil reservoirs because their oil spill response ship is still in Seattle awaiting certification. And yet they've been given a license to drill anyway? Just the pilot holes, though. Oh, brother. And by the way, since Arctic sea ice has melted to a record low this year because of global warming, Shell is asking for a three-week extension to their permit. Because there's more time to drill. Yeah. There's also more free ice floating around, is there not? Yes, there's that, too. It's official. The first eight months of 2012, from January to August, were the hottest on record in the continental United States since record-keeping began in 1895. No kidding. That's according to scientists at the National Climate Data Center. While record heat waves and drought made this July the hottest single month ever on record in the U.S., the whole summer, the stretch of June, July, and August, was only the third hottest summer on record in the U.S. You're saying that July was the hottest month ever recorded in the history of of the United States. Yes. Amazing. More importantly, though, each of the last 15 months has been above average for temperature, and that is an unprecedented record, says NOAA scientist Jake Crouch. That long of a stretch of months has not happened in our period of record of having temperatures this warm for that long of a period. Consistently higher temperatures are in line with climate scientists' predictions of global warming caused by humans' greenhouse gas emissions. And yet, Rush Limbaugh, after the uh, Democratic convention, had this to say about it all. And by the way, Obama last night, he was talking to me last night. And climate change is not a hoax. Yes, it is, just as you are. Yeah, well, it looks like climate change may very well become an issue, an actual issue in the 2012 presidential campaign. In an interview on Sunday's Meet the Press, GOP presidential candidate Mitt Romney again minimized and dismissed the threat of climate change. I'm not in this race to slow the rise of the oceans or to heal the planet. I'm in this race to help the American people. And, of course, slowing the rise of the oceans or healing the planet would be of no help to the American people whatsoever. Now, President Obama, on the other hand, after years of not mentioning it, focused prominently on climate change in his speech to the Democratic National Convention last week. And, yes, my plan will continue to reduce the carbon pollution that is heating our planet because climate change is not a hoax. More droughts and floods and wildfires are not a joke. They are a threat to our children's future, and in this election, you can do something about it. Now, again, the candidates are poles apart in clean energy policy. Romney is against federal support for clean energy and has called on Congress to kill off the crucial wind energy production tax credit that expires at the end of this year. Romney's also for keeping billions in permanent annual taxpayer subsidies for big oil. President Obama, on the other hand, called for ending big oil subsidies and expanding federal investment in America's homegrown renewable energy industries. 
But we should also point out Obama touted the myth of clean coal. Speaking of hoaxes. Finally, as the nation commemorates the September 11th terrorist attacks this week, new revelations in the New York Times show that the Bush administration ignored and dismissed even more dire warnings than was previously known. And that provides a stark reminder, says Peter Sinclair of ClimateCrocs.com, that the same people who ignored and ridiculed warnings from terrorism experts prior to 9-11 are the same people who are ignoring and ridiculing climate experts' warnings on the dangers of climate change today. Very smart point. For more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via iTunes. You can listen to us on your mobile device via Stitcher Radio. Follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. And please find and like the Green News Report on the Facebook. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. Yeah, the more you ignore me, indeed. And that, that was a keen point, uh, Desi Doyen. Thank uh, you. That the 9 11, uh, when we had that story about yesterday that in the New York Times. The Kurt Eichenwall uh, story that yeah. you uh, referred to at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that uh, the Bush administration went out of their way to ignore and ridicule yeah, well, uh, the warnings actually... about 9-11. Uh, and, and that they these really are the very same people who are ignoring and ridiculing uh, scientists' warnings about global warming. Right. And, you know, and even many of the neoconservatives that were in the Bush administration at the time that were ignoring and ridiculing these warnings, they are, many of them, advisors to the Romney campaign. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not only are we having to, you know, I think, be concerned, rightfully so, about the um, foreign policy uh, judgment? Like, yeah, the foreign po- uh, that's a good way to put it. The go. foreign policy judgment of these people yeah. that are advising the Romney campaign, but they're also, again, advising Romney, who back in 2007 said that he believed that climate change was occurring and that humans were responsible, that there was some questions about the science. Well, now he's just he's all over the place with his uh, opinions about climate change. Yeah. Yeah. He's said, uh, you know, a year ago that he didn't think it was happening at all. And then now he says that maybe it's happening. But, you know, maybe the policy Policymakers should look into it and think about considering those risks at some time. So what think we, about think about it, thinking about it. So so what have we learned here today? The same people uh, who, who got it wrong on 9-11 want to come back in power this November. The same people who threw uh, Don Siegelman in jail and a political prosecution want to come back to power this November. The same people who have been telling us that global warming is uh, nothing but a hoax, nothing to pay attention here. All of these people who got everything else wrong, those same people want to come back to power this November, and in fact, they will if Mitt Romney wins. That's that's what would be one would assume. Yes, one would uh, one knows it for a fact. That's what will happen. Uh, so, uh, if you love George Bush, just wait for Mitt Romney. Uh, my thanks. Thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer, Desi Doyen. A good job on the Green News Report and on today's show. Of course, our thanks, as always, to super-duper associate producer, Margot Paez. 
to our soundboard operator, G, and to my guests, Don Siegelman and Dana Siegelman. I hope you will uh, sign the petition for his pardon at donsiegelman.org. We will have the entire audio from today's program up tonight at bradblog.com. You can tweet me at the Bradblog. We'll see you next week. Same Brad time, same Brad channel. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, and this has been your broadcast on KPFK.